Hello everyone, welcome to the Tech Journeys podcast. Today, joining us, we've got Pete Wilcock, who's the DevOps engineering lead at Booking.com. He's going to be talking about his journey through technology from web developer over to choosing cloud. After that, we're going to be discussing Pete's topic, which is keeping yourself up to date with the changing faces of technology. Hope you enjoy the listen. Please click the subscribe button for more information on future podcasts. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Journeys podcast. Today, we've got Pete Wilcock, who's the DevOps engineering lead at Booking.com. I'm sure you would have heard of, of the business. Today, we're going to talk about Pete's journey through technology from web developer over to cloud. And then we're going to go on to a topic, which is adapting yourself with the changing faces of technology. So, Pete, do you want to give yourself a quick intro? Sure. So, uh, I'm Pete Wilcock. I work for Booking.com as a DevOps engineering lead. So obviously, as, uh, as Scott says, you'll refer to booking.com. We're very interested in, in building the connected trip for customers. So the idea is that you would book your holiday and uh, we'd basically set up everything for you. So hotels, flights, taxis, rental cars, you know, whatever it is you need. So we've got a, a lot of product teams building those products. We're deploying into the cloud. So they need a lot of support to, to do that. And I, uh, I manage one of the teams that uh, helps product teams deliver those products. Booking.com is, is amazing, really, isn't it? It's literally a one-stop shop. It's, it's yeah. everything. <laughs> the, the, yeah. The thing that most people don't realize is that it is so much more than just booking hotels. There yeah. are so other different areas globally. And as part of the Booking Holdings Group, we've got a lot of um, sort of sister companies that work in different areas as well. So it's actually way larger than you'd sort of give it credit yeah. for. Yeah. yeah, no, it's amazing. So we'll start from, uh, from the beginning, I suppose. So when did you become interested in, in technology? Yeah, so um, it's funny because I've got an older brother mm. and so he, he was the one that got bought a computer in the family first. And it was uh, the first one was a Spectrum 128K, which I think came out in like, 1985 or something. Right. And those, those computers were fantastic because people, were, people who remember them will remember they always came with like this massive wire-bound manual filled with basic programming code. So basic, if I remember, stands for beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code. So it's, a very, <laughs> it's a very simple programming language that was the basis for all of the, all of the games and stuff back then. And so because you didn't have a lot of games, one of the things you could do was, was type out tediously all of this code that was in the back of the manual, and you could, you could build a game for yourself. They, they, they bonded. So instead of giving you the game on like a disc or something, <laughs> you'd write the code yourself. Right. So I, I remember spending hours writing out the code for Pong uh, that came, became like a really simple Pong game and being yeah. incredibly satisfied at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and just sort of, um, yeah, sort of going from there. Very nice. Very nice. So it was that, that wasn't the original Pong? It was not the original Pong. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Although the, the, very, the very first thing that was technological in our family was a, was a binatone. And so if you can remember what those were, you're going back a very long time. I'll be honest. No, no, they, no, they, no, were, no. they were very simplistic consoles. That it was literally a Pong console. That was the yeah. But classic, you know, when that was all you had, that was what you loved. Yeah. I think the first thing I remember is an Atari. And I had a game called James Pond, I think. I remember. I do. I do remember James Bond. I, I believe the, the catchphrase was "license to bubble." If I remember, yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, you know what? I've not remembered that for a very, very long time, but it just popped into my head <laughs> for some reason. So, yeah, you, I mean, you've gone on this journey. You're with one of the biggest companies in the world, from a, you know, probably the biggest tech, one of the biggest tech companies in the world. What's been the, the challenge? Because I know you started off as, as web development, and now obviously you moved over to cloud. What's been your, your biggest challenge between? I suppose the beginning and, and where you are today. 
So thinking about it, I was at a certain point in my career a few years back where I didn't know what to do next. It was a bit mm. of a weird one because I, I, was, I had done web development for a long time and I was mostly a, a kind of a PHP MySQL developer. That was a very common combination for like a long time. Yeah, I think yeah. PHP now is a lot of people still use it, although it's considered a bit more niche and people are, are moving away um, from it to other things. But there was a certain point where I had this nasty realization that I was only really employed for the job that I had. Right. And I, and I didn't know if I was to change job, what I'd change to. And it, I knew that I was going to move to a job that would be pretty much the same job just somewhere else. And so I sort of had this sort of crisis of confidence of, of uh, how could I possibly, how do I, how do I make myself employable for anything else? I don't, I don't really understand what to do next. So the, the challenge was, was finding that purpose and, and coming to it in, in a way that was compatible with my, with my existing job at the time. So I was doing, I was building data management systems for a genetic, genetic analysis for a university. And one of the things they were working on was, was doing those genetic analyses on, on a computing cluster that was based in the building. And they were having this problem where it would constantly run out of memory because other people were using it. It was highly contested, so it was very difficult to get space. And it was just very difficult to use, but it was the only thing that was available. And so not knowing much about it, I, I said, you know, have we ever thought about this cloud thing? I don't know much about this cloud thing, but have, has anyone ever thought about using the cloud for genetic analysis? And it, and it turns out, no, no, not really, they hadn't. So I started looking into it and I asked if I could go on some training courses because the, the second you look at the AWS documentation, you think, right, okay, I can't figure this out for myself. Someone needs to train me at least a little bit first. So I managed to convince my manager at the time who let me go on a training course for AWS done by QA because I think QA were at the time the only training provider for AWS in the UK. So I managed to go on like a, a three-day course to kind of get me started and started doing some testing and uh, managed to get something working in the cloud that was capable of doing a genetic analysis and was able to, to leverage that, that tiny molecule of experience into um, getting a bit of funding for, it was only something like you know, 20,000 pounds of internal funding for buying a server in the cloud and doing a, a, broader, a broader kind of proof of concept. And, and all the while, I'm you know, frantically learning, frantically studying, trying to gain the skills to, to actually make that, that reality okay. um, and, and making that real. So, so that, was, that was a real challenge, was kind of working out what to do and then how, how to get any experience in my current job to convert, essentially. Yeah. I was going to say, was, was senior, lead, senior people in that business aware of what it was? And was it, was it a challenge to get them to adopt it because it's, of the, uh, how new it was, I suppose, at the time? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I gotta say it's it's a very weird cultural phenomenon, and you'll see it with different types of businesses, particularly ones that have been established for a long time in a historical data center. Is uh, you know the cloud is this new strange thing that's that's considered a little bit risky, and you know various media reports on it can make it seem sort of insecure in some way. Yeah. You, you always hear about data breaches and things in the cloud, which might make you think the cloud is insecure, but in reality, it's it's more the the use of the cloud is being done insecurely. Right. It's not, okay. It's not the platform itself. It's the people that are using it because they a lot of the people don't have enough experience. Mm. So there is this sort of vague bias against it, whilst also being quite invested in in how things are, are sort of set up right now. Yeah. So, so they were aware of it, and one of the issues we had because we were trying to put together a, a greater funding bid. There was a funding bid. We were trying to put together something like a million million pounds or so to do a large genetic genetic analysis project in the cloud, and it was eventually turned down 
for reasons that were that were vague and they were they were pertaining to the security of the cloud and it, and it came from the misunderstanding of how that was actually yeah. administered and it's a real shame because again in the university at that time culturally it just it wasn't a thing and it was very difficult to convince anyone that it could be a thing mm. interesting yeah and i imagine there's there's probably businesses today that still have a mindset similar to that yeah, I mean, so yeah. one, one of the things you'll see are people advertising jobs for cloud, cloud transformation, cloud yeah. migration. All the people that are looking to try and get into the cloud from an historical legacy position and are having a heck of a time with it because yeah. it's difficult and it's difficult to find the people. Right, okay. So you mentioned you were, you were doing development and then uh, you, you were trying to identify something that you wanted to move into. You know, you've done very well to, to get where you are today, so it's obviously the right choice that you made, but how? How did, did you do research to try and uncover exactly what it was, or did you just enjoy that the cloud-based technology? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think when I was working on this uh, genetic analysis, like proof of concept, and I was there at, at two a.m. on a work night working on it because I was I was I was not content to go to bed until I made it work. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it, it took until two a.m. to do it, and I, I suddenly realised that I was doing that very happily. I wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't objectionable to doing that because I was just I wanted to learn how it worked, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought this this is this is the career path to go down because regardless of what the job is, if I'm doing this kind of thing, mm-hmm. I'm going to be en- endlessly engaged. Yeah, my brain is going to be engaged, and there's always going to be a problem to solve. So, so that was the thing that made me start to study for certifications. So, AWS okay. has a very large ranging certification program, mm-hmm. and back then they only had five certifications, and I. I paid for myself because my, my company weren't willing at the time and I got three of them okay at which point started probably the most frustrating year of my life then trying to get a, a DevOps role because I was I was operating on a, on a thin sliver of experience and a lot of enthusiasm and I, I probably wasn't very good at selling myself in the domain at that time so there were a few jobs that I remember interviewing for that I tried really hard to get and had no joy at all and it was a very uh, very frustrating year and I think that that's the main problem is when you don't have the experience, it's getting someone to kind of take a chance on you yeah. because on the basis, on the basis of, of your CV, you can't represent the experience. And uh, very often what they want is a kind of, a kind of like a catch 22. We need someone that has experience in this area. So like, well, I can't get experience in that area because yeah. you, you want someone with experience in that area. So it, unless you have a job that naturally converts into that new kind of cloud domain, or you, or you can find someone that will take a, a little bit of a leap of faith on you just in that initial stage where you don't have all the skills on your CV. It's, it's really difficult. Yeah, and I, and I really, and I, even now, I sort of really empathize with people that are having that struggle because it's the one that I faced. Yeah, it's certainly from my point of view, it's something that I see. Um, businesses always look for commercial experience, take quite a lot of commercial experience when they're looking to bring someone in. There's a lot of people out there who want to move into the position and, and do their own projects in their own time and get the certifications, but struggle to secure that role because they don't have the commercial experience. Like you say, it's it's a catch-22. You know, for yourself, I imagine, was it just a case of being patient? You said you interviewed a few times. Obviously, you managed to secure one. Did you just um, ride it out until you you managed to find one? I mean, yes, yes, uh, I guess a little bit. Throughout the entire time, I was continuously learning as well. So every interview I I was going to, I was able to speak a little bit more about what I knew and why I had done. There was a a cumulative effect there. It wasn't uh, trying to interview from the same sort of static position. And and the whole while, I'm trying to progress the area in my existing job. 
So what I'm able to express is my experience was very, very slowly increasing as well. Yeah. But again, I, I ended up being very grateful for that first job because I did feel like they were taking a little bit of a leap of, leap of faith on me. And I just, just seemed to do well in the interview at, at the time. And once you've got that first job, then all the doors suddenly get unlocked. Yeah. You know? yeah. Working somewhere for a while, suddenly everyone wants to hire someone with a bit of, as you say, commercial experience. So yeah. it's getting over that hump and you know, pivoting completely. Mm-hmm. Because once I moved into that first role, I was I never did a bit of PHP again, never did web development again, never went back to it, never touched it, kind of blissfully left it behind. <laughs> and now, <laughs> now, now I wouldn't be able to do it commercially because the, you know, the technology has moved so far on um, that I would be unemployable on my original skill set. Yeah, it's, it's a question I was going to ask. So DevOps or cloud is something that is, I imagine, well, will be more widely adopted than it was five years ago when you first started out. What, I suppose, what are the key differences for someone in your position five years ago trying to break into DevOps and cloud? Is there, you know, what's the difference in challenges of securing those roles today? I think the, such as the demand for engineers now mm. is that if, if somebody came to me now with the experience that I had, I would snap their arm off. Right. Because, yeah. because such as the demand, you know, to have anyone that has studied the area, has got some certifications and it's got some enthusiasm, that, those are the things that you would look for yeah. as an employer. I think the issue I had originally is I was interviewing with employers that were looking for the person that was you know, ready-made. Yeah. And didn't need, didn't need any, didn't need any training, didn't need anything experience, any, yeah, any, anything additional to hit the ground running. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, demand far outstrips supply. If, if you want to be a business that is specific, what it is you're looking for, you're going to be looking a long time and you're going to have to compensate by offering very, very large sums of money if you want yeah. that complete engineer. Otherwise you need to compromise to some degree. And I think now I wouldn't have as much of a problem, but, um, it doesn't mean it's doesn't mean it's easy. It's a little difficult yeah. to Yeah, it's you know, even from my perspective, it's there seems to be an awful lot of companies who are looking for these types of candidates, but the market, uh, the candidate market, it's not no, it's not it doesn't seem to have the volume. You know, there's a there's a lot of demand and a lot of supply. And that's where, like you say, the, the compromise has to come uh, at some point. It seems to be that like you mentioned before, when a business starts out do they start out with that mindset to implement it all to the cloud and DevOps? And if they don't, are the businesses now that are two, three, four, five years old wishing they would have done? Would it, would it be easier to, as a tech business to grow the business to be a complete business starting off from the beginning using, using DevOps and cloud? It definitely would. And you've seen that most prominently in the challenger banks. So people yeah. like uh, Monzo and Starling, yeah. you know, they're, they're all cloud first and they were cloud from day one. Mm-hmm. And they've been able to iterate at a speed that has left the traditional banks behind. Yeah. But those banks are now desperately trying to migrate into the cloud, but they're doing it from a legacy position. So they've got all these things they need to lift and shift and re-platform and re-engineer. And it's a heck of a lot of work. Whereas if you're brand new, no no technical debt, no legacy, you can just jump straight into the cloud with native tools. Yeah. Especially if you've got a bit of funding behind you. Normally it's a trade-off between using a managed service that does it all for you and makes it really easy or doing Mm -hmm. it yourself, which needs a lot of time, but also needs a lot of expertise. And as you've just said, there's a lot of um, demand in the market, not very many engineers, and being able to utilize a technology platform that limits the amount of expertise you absolutely require to get started is it's just a huge accelerator. Yeah, yeah. The, they're amazing, like Monzo and companies like that, compared to you know, older skill banks. Yeah, I use Monzo now, and it's just it's like a breath of fresh air compared to what I was using. It's just completely different. 
free advertising for them. But because <laughs> I, I, I was previously uh, at one point contracting in, in right. the DevOps space and I was working for a, a high street bank name unnamed. Um, and at one point I needed to request a new virtual machine. And I actually wanted to upgrade the operating system on it. Um, so I said, can I upgrade the operating system on the existing machine? And they said, no, that's not possible. You have to order a whole new machine because you can't, you just, you can't upgrade it. And I was like, why not? Why not? Why can't I do that? Well, that's, that's not how it works. Oh, okay. So how long will it take to get that new machine? Oh, probably about three months. Right. Oh, okay. So, nice. so, 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 so to be able to upgrade the operating system, I need a brand new physical machine and I need to order it with a three month lead time to start doing the work I want to do today. And in the cloud right now, I could spin that up in five minutes, less than five yeah. minutes. There's no comparison there. The, the difference in agility with the way these things work is, yeah, massive. Amazing. Is there anything, you know, looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? It's really tricky to know what. I suppose I would have been probably a little bit less ambitious. It's really difficult because the, the junior roles that you see more now didn't exist then. Yeah. So being, I say, you're looking for anything to get your foot in the door. So I, mm. I was probably looking for like a, a full-blown engineering role. Yeah. And, I would, and if I could have found a more junior engineering role for a year or two, the barrier to entry would have been lower. But again, once you've got the job and you've got some experience, you could probably have escalated a bit quicker. Yeah. So I could, have, I could have probably ended up being a bit quicker off the starting mark. But, but again, the job market didn't have the same kind of roles available. There were relatively few and far between. Yeah, yeah, no, totally understand. I suppose final question on this part, what advice would you, you give someone who's trying to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, um, so there's a, there's a couple of things. One of the things that you see these days are a lot of companies that are offering coding boot camps that will offer to turn, you know, we'll, we'll take, they, they cost between about five, five and five and six thousand pounds from what I've seen. You yeah. have a full-time commitment for three or four months and they offer you, they offer you that. I would say if you're going to engage in such a program, make sure that at the end of it, they're introducing you to employers. Because yeah. um, otherwise what you're paying for is, as I say, unverified qualification which may or may not be recognized by an employer. Yeah. So if it's, not, if it's not paired with some sort of introduction that is likely to get you a job at the end of it, be wary about handing out to monies, uh, money, money to companies who, could, who will offer you a very high-paying engineering job at the end or yeah. will tell you that you're suddenly qualified for that. Because mm-hmm. it, it's, very, it's very tempting. It's very tempting. It might seem like a quick route in, but just be a little bit careful about who you're, who you're handing over money to because there are a lot of these companies around. Some of them are really good. Some of them are very poor. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with what you say. You know, I've, I've heard, spoke to many people who have gone through similar courses, some successes, some not. So yeah, I'd, I'd second that. Um, is there any courses that, that you would well, not recommend, but is there anything that, you know, um, any, yeah. anyone looking to break into it, any kind of advice in, in that sense? Yeah, there's, there's two that I've worked with directly, so I'm happy to name drop them. Okay. <laughs> One of which is actually based in Edinburgh, which is where I used to live. Uh, they're called uh, Code Clan. So they okay. offer I believe it's a 16-week course, full study, and they do that critical element at the end, which is the introduction to an employer. Yeah. So back when I was working at Adobe, we actually took somebody in from uh, Tech Returners, and it, and it worked really, really well, actually. We were very impressed with, uh, with the candidates. Obviously, that they weren't like you know, senior engineers off the, off the bat, but they, yeah. had enough, they had enough going to them that they were employable. Yeah, and they they had the ability to to kind of do that, and so that worked out well because we were looking for people that were the yeah, self uh, self motivating and enthusiastic. That was a good yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then the other one um, based, uh, I don't know if it's based specifically in Manchester, but working with Booking, we, we we've um, had dealings with their tech returners. 
So tech yeah. return is designed for people who want to get back into tech, who maybe had a, a, a somewhat technical background. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. yeah and, they're, and they're looking to get back into it. So again, booking of, of taking in some people from tech returners to great effect. Um, yeah. It's been very successful. And I believe that they're actually, they're, I, think they're, I think they're 15 weeks. They are free or very low cost. Okay. And, I think, and I think the commitment is much less. I think it's just a, a few hours a week. It is designed to be done in tandem with your existing role to help you pivot back into the, into the tech industry to sort of uh, get back those people who are maybe lost to other careers or did something sort of technical originally, but then went off into something else and maybe would like to get back into it. So both yeah. of those I know have, have that direct experience of and uh, has been very useful for the people that have done those courses. Yeah. And you know what? It's a big commitment. I'll, I'll touch on this and then I'll move on. But I spoke with the candidate the other day who was just about to join said course uh, type of business and she was saying obviously it costs that amount of money but then also it's about the cost that she has not working for the period of three months so you know ultimately it's actually much more than that so yeah it's a really good point with regards to the guarantee um, at the end but we'll move on to the next part which is uh, something that we uh, we uncovered just through talking about the podcast really which was adapting yourself to the changing faces of technology I mean, even from my side, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a coder. I'm, I'm not a techie in terms of, you know, I know enough about the market. I've worked in it for seven years. Previously did .NET development recruitment and do a lot of JavaScript now. And that's something that's grown and everyone seems to be adopting React.js, Node, Vue. And then you've obviously got DevOps and there's, there's so many different types of technologies or different areas of technology there. I imagine it is a, a constant battle to consistently keep yourself up to date with the way it changes. So you've obviously done this really well by going from web over to cloud. I mean, how, how did you keep, I mean, you mentioned did a lot of courses, but how, how do you keep yourself up to date with, with all the technologies? Yeah, I, I guess the cautionary tale there is don't keep yourself static. Because I, yeah. I I'd suddenly realized in horror that my skills were static and I didn't know how to progress them. Yeah. And, and in so doing, I could foresee a time where I would be unemployable. Mm-hmm. So, so that is the key message is you, you can't be static. You can't learn your field and then do your field forever. It's continuous professional development. You need to be learning all the time, keeping up to date on courses, refreshing constantly, pushing for training on the job as well. Yeah. Don't, don't let your employer get away with never training you. A lot, of, a lot of employers are scared to train their staff in case they're employing them for a better job elsewhere. But that's a risk they're going to have to take because ultimately anyone with motivation will be leaving anyway. So better better keep your your staff trained and happy. And that is it. So I have to say on an almost daily basis, I'm constantly looking at the new releases, particularly in cloud for new features. Yeah. If if you're out of the game, even for six months, you'll come back with your preconception broken because all the technology will have shifted just enough to make your expertise a little bit more lagged behind. And if you, if you stay, stay out of the area for two or three years, you'll be, almost useless compared to somebody that has been keeping up to date. Yeah. And it is, it is it particularly in the, in the front-end development, I know there's been a lot of changes. I've never been a front-end person, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing, even when I was doing web development, I was very basic front-end, very heavy back-end coding and databases. But I know that space has, has moved tremendously. And uh, you need to know which, which framework is the hot framework right now. Yeah. Uh, you need to yeah. be checking, checking the, um, you know, the, 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 the quadrant, quadrant reports about what's the hottest and who's using it and what the direction of travel is. And even, and even back when, you know, like Docker and Kubernetes has been, has been very popular, but now people yeah. say Docker and Kubernetes, but originally they said Docker and there was like two or three competitors and it was very unclear for a period there for about two years, 
as to which container orchestration system was going to, going to come out as the successful one. Yeah. And it ended up, ended up being Kubernetes, but I knew a lot of people that had, had sunk a lot of time into some of the competitors and ended up being a little bit wrong-footed and then had to reskill and had to replatform and a bit of a minefield. You, you, you either hold back and wait to see or you yeah. be an early adopter and risk being one of the people that get left behind. Yeah, and it's a story I, you know, I've heard, particularly with JavaScript, because Angular was the big thing you know, going back two or three years ago and then shift over to React was just incredible. It seems that everyone in Manchester uses React. And, you know, there's a lot of people who've focused on Angular and are kind of being left behind. And the similarity between the two to cross-train, but I totally agree. And cloud seems like a technology that would be ever-changing and does seem like a, a technology that will be consistently changing. I mean, from, I mean you're the, the, lead, the lead engineer. Do, does the team have the same mindset in terms of they consistently try and improve or is that is that also your responsibility to make sure that they are you know because i feel like it's kind of it's not a catch catch 22 but from a developer point of view or a devops engineer is the responsibility 50 50 in terms of the, the devops engineer responsible for skilling themselves or is it also the business at the same time yeah and i guess it depends what the business is looking to achieve obviously if, yeah. you're, a, if you're a business that's in the middle of a cloud migration and you're not willing to train your engineers you're not going to have a good time but equally, if you're an engineer that is looking to be ambitious and looking to make yourself as employable as possible, even if you yeah. have a role, definitely do some things on, on your own time. And so one of the things I've always done, regardless of who I've been employed with, is I have, I've paid for my own certifications yeah. and recertified. In some cases, not even asking my employer if they would pay, just because you know, it was simpler and easier just to pay for myself. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have to worry about being obligated to an employer because they'd paid for my training for anything. But equally, equally, if my employer would like to you know, offer a training course, I'll definitely go on it. I'll learn as much as I can. So I think you've got it right. It's about 50-50. Yeah. Um, employers need to, need to take responsibility for training their staff so they've got the skills they need to do their job. Mm-hmm. But for yourself, you should also be focused on keeping yourself current, learning things that are of interest to you, and not being afraid to learn new technologies and then try and introduce them into the job you're working in. Because... If no one else is, is looking or keeping track of, of what's evolving, you can be the person that is doing that for your business. And yeah. if you're looking for a way to progress your career, being the person who's right on top of the cutting edge technologies uh, is not a bad way to go. Yeah. I mean, you become valuable as well, don't you? Or, because you, you, I suppose you then become the only person in the business who knows about what it is that you're implementing. And it's, it's one of the things that, uh, one of the analogies that occurred to me is very often in technology, people will implement a system and then they'll sort of dust their hands off and say, right, that system's done now. We don't have to think yeah. about it. And then you'll come back five years later and look at it and wonder what on earth you were thinking. Because it might have been the cutting edge at the time. Now it's over-engineered, inefficient, full of security holes. It still works, but, but barely and by chance. And an engineer is almost like that. <laughs> yeah. If, if you leave your skills static for five years, you can still, you can still do the work, but relative to what is state of the art, you'll be behind and you'll be barely, you know, barely working, barely employable. And what you're doing is probably less efficient as well. And you don't even realize it. And this is something that AWS in particular do all the time is they'll release a whole bunch of new features that makes your previous way of working absolutely obsolete. Yeah. And you, and you need to be on top of it. Yeah. No, it's interesting because it does consistently change every technology. I suppose we touched on it a bit earlier, but I mean, how is there any way that you would recommend how people keep up to date or alternatively change their tech stack 
you know, in a business that isn't open to it? It is a challenge. Um, there, are, there are several areas. And, it, and again, there's the question of to what extent do you want to be a developer who is cloud aware versus someone who is a cloud engineer that is aware of what developers are working on? These, yeah. are, two, these are two kind of distinct roles. But the, the cloud aware developers are typically the ones that do the best because they know the platform that their code is going to be running on and they can architect it accordingly and do uh, it uh-huh. quite well. So there are, there are things. So there's, there's one that people might want to check out, which is the, the serverless framework, which um, is actually based a, a bit on React. One of the okay. things, when I, when I was trying to familiarize myself with React, I was using the, the serverless framework, but it allows you to provision a bunch of AWS resources to support the, you know, the backend part of the front end you're trying to build. And it utilizes, it basically utilizes some, some stuff on the back end. You don't have to worry about it too much. But doing the development from that perspective, you know, having an appreciation of how the back end cloud infrastructure works whilst you're doing your front end development really, really empowers you to make better applications. If you're focused only on the technology and you don't have any, any uh, knowledge about where it's running, you are a little bit behind and you might be doing things in an inefficient way and just not even be aware of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, that's. Um that's pretty much the, the questions that we've got lined up for uh, for the second half. I mean, in, in the market at the moment, you know, in your opinion, what's, what's like the hottest topics? You know, what, what is, I mean, DevOps is obviously one of them. Yeah. So obviously security is always a consistent one. A company, a company who is successful become, can become destroyed overnight by a bad security breach. And there is a real effort to try and push security again into the domain of developers. If you have a centralized security team that's responsible for everything, you have to rely on them being very, very exacting and covering every single area. And if you've got a large company, that's very difficult. As much as possible, you want your developers to be self, self-servicing. And so they're deploying infrastructure or services themselves. And if they're not security aware, they might be doing it in an inefficient way. Even just to the degree where if you're, if you're using insecure packages, insecure dependencies, and you as a developer aren't aware of that and you're not updating it, you can put your whole company in a bad security position mm-hmm. and you're relying on a, on a separate team to kind of cover that for you. Uh, it, it can be, it can be company destroying, you know, you get, you get a very serious compromise and the negative publicity can ruin you or it yeah. can very, very seriously damage you. And it's a difficult position to get back from. Uh, I don't know if that's the hottest topic, the, you know, you know, containers and Kubernetes and the, 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 golden, the golden land of milk and honey that is uh, you know, uh, orchestration of Docker containers. It's, it's fine. Like I say, that's, that's fine. There's plenty of money to be made there. It does work very well. It's also very difficult and it's not the ideal use case for every scenario. And it's, again, having that appreciation. The shortcut to the cloud isn't just containers and Kubernetes. There's a lot of subtleties around that as well. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't don't always make it the, the best way. So, I guess, I guess that's the message, really. There isn't any one thing. There are numerous areas. AWS talk a lot about the well-architected framework, which is uh, five pillars of different areas to consider around uh, cost optimization, security. This is where I embarrass myself by not being able to remember them all. There's operational efficiency. Uh, di- lots of different areas that when you're building any application, you should be considering. And chances are, at any given time, you're only looking at one of them. So yeah. even, even just being aware these other considerations exist is the best route to make yourself the most complete engineer you can be. Mm. I know we've spoke, when we've spoke quite a few times in the past, we've discussed cost optimization. And that's something that you do quite extensively within your team. What, what, I mean, how do you maximize that in, in what it is that you do with regards to DevOps? 
Yeah, it's it's taking, and again, this is where the, the attention to detail, it becomes very essential because you're looking at the very low level of how an application works and how it interacts with resources in the cloud to work out the most efficient arrangement. Because you can make something work really quickly, but very inefficiently uh, cost-wise without even realizing it. So the thing that, that's really amazing to me on the cost side is that you can make a tiny change that has a massive cost impact and all you needed to do was be aware of it. Yeah. Uh, so so some of the things that we've done is made those tiny changes. And we're not talking about huge amounts of money saved. It's maybe $50 a month here and there in little areas. But if you make 100 of those changes, yeah. that, that really starts to stack up. Mm. And if you've got a big company and multiple teams and everyone's doing everything in just a slightly inefficient way, a few tweaks here and there, and suddenly you're saving tens of thousands of dollars a month. It's kind of mm. incredible. Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean... Before we spoke, I never even really knew it was a thing. And uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting. In terms of the, the market challenges at the moment, what, what do you see the biggest challenges in the market? Is it is it the increased amount of companies, certainly in Manchester Taxi, moving into Manchester, low demand, uh, low, high demand, low supply with regards to the, the amount of developers on the market? Yeah, it, it's a difficult one. I'm, and particularly this year with yeah. the, global, the global situation, one of the few areas that has been resilient has been tech and DevOps. because some companies are doing really well and they need more people all the time. Yeah. And even in the companies that have suffered, they've lost people through attrition just because they're so employable. They don't need to worry about being made redundant. They've got job offers on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think the main challenge for, for companies is, is not allowing the uncertainty of the situation to lead to the unnecessary loss of staff. Losing staff at any time is bad, but if there's any kind of instability and someone's offering you what seems like a lifeline, you'll, you'll struggle all the more. You know, you'll, be, yeah. uh, you'll be losing some of your best engineers. So mm. take steps to reassure your staff if you're not already. That's quite critical. And do make sure that you remain competitive because there are lots of companies out there that haven't been affected that do have big bankrolls that can afford to pay big yeah. bucks. And do make sure, do make sure that you're, you're still promoting and pay, you know, pay rising people accordingly because regardless of how well your business is doing, the market is doing very well. Yeah. You know, it's big things like fintech, e-commerce, markets that are flying at the moment because of, you know, they're, they're the ones that have not benefited from the situation but are, are growing because everyone is, you know, a big shift to online. There's already a huge shift to online, but it's even, even bigger now. And yeah, some of those companies are just hiring like mad. So like you say, if there is a, you know, an element of uncertainty in any business, then... It will be it will be a challenge. Definitely. It's, it's yeah, it's a double whammy as well because some of your best engineers will be the ones that are the most employable and yeah. the people you least afford to lose. So it's a it's a challenge. Yeah, tricky, tricky. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate your time and um, and thank you for being my first guest on the so podcast. Definitely. I do really appreciate it. What I will do uh, once you post this out, if we get any questions afterwards, obviously I'll send them over to you. And um, yeah, I will uh, I will speak to you soon. No problem. Thanks very much, Scott. Perfect. Cheers, Pete. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And big thanks to Pete Wilcock for taking his time to join. If you do have uh, any questions for Pete or you would like to get involved in being a guest on the Tech Journey podcast, please drop me an email at scott.barker at progress-talent.com and please hit the subscribe button for more information on future podcasts with tech leaders. Thank you.